Alrighty, so we've got two passages today. Our first one is from Psalm 3. So Psalm 3. And this particular psalm is a psalm of David when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. Alrighty, so Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God, and strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Now, our second reading is from um, 2 Samuel, and it's 2 Samuel chapter 15. Now, it's a long one, so you'll have to just hang in there, okay? So 2 Samuel chapter 15. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand at the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, "'What town are you from?' And he would answer, "'Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel.' Then Absalom would say to him, "'Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you.' And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved this way towards all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel." At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Gersha in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. When they had been invited as guests, sorry, they had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counsellor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's followers kept on increasing. A messenger came and told David, The hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, 
or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him, but he left ten concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at the edge of the city. All his men marched past him, along with all the Kerathites and the Pelathites, and all the 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. The king said to Ital, the Gittite, Why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You only came yesterday, and today shall I make you wander around with us when I do not know where I am going? Go back. Take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. But Ital replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever the lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will be your servant. David said to Ital, Go ahead, march on. So Ital the Gilanite marched on with all his men and the families that were with him. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kedron Valley and all the people moved on through the wilderness. Zadok was there too and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God and Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the Ark of God back to the city. And if I find favour in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and its dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Do you understand? Go back to the city with my blessing. Take your son Ahimezes with you and Abathar, son of Jonathan. You and Abathar return with your two sons. I will wait at the fords in the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. But David continued up to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspiracies with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. When David arrived at the summit where the people used to worship God, Ahushai the Arachite was there to meet him. His robe was torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, Your majesty, I will be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I will be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Won't the priest Zadok and Abathar be there with you? Tell them anything you hear in the king's palace. And their two sons, Ahimezes, son of Zadok and Jonathan, son of Abathar, are there with them. Send them to me with anything you hear. So Hushai, David's confidant, arrived at Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. 
Good job with those names, Corinne. Well done. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here to open up God's Word. Uh, yeah, as Matt said, um, I'm Pete Chang. I'm the pastors here. So I'll be um, speaking on 2 Samuel verse 15 to, uh, chapter 15 to 18. Now, in Australia, we love an underdog, don't we? Uh, we, we love the idea of the little battler uh, taking it to the bigger, stronger, more powerful person and not only taking it to them, but winning. Uh, the little guy winning when the odds are totally stacked against them. Now, just recently, there was a newspaper article uh, and it spoke about some homeowners who had held off selling their house despite the pressure from large kind of companies and large developers who sought to buy their land and, and big, um, build big buildings on it. Now, this one was from Rhodes in Sydney, uh, not too far from where I grew up, actually. Now, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with Rhodes, uh, but this pl- Rhodes is a place which is just full of these high-rise apartment buildings, and, and that's kind of happened in, in the past 10, 15 years. Uh, really crazy. Uh, so in recent years, all these buildings have gone up, and smack bang in the middle of these apartments is this little house on its own. So you can see the house there, and there's just development and building going on all around it. So the owner, I think it's this elderly lady, uh, she just didn't want to be taken advantage of by these large multinationals. Uh, I haven't seen it myself, but apparently a similar thing happens in the Disney movie Up. My mind went straight to the castle, right? Uh, who he hasn't seen the castle before? Own up. Oh, you've got to get onto it. That's most people, that's really good to see. Uh, if you haven't, you've got to get onto it. It's hilarious. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen the castle, but the castle follows the life of the Kerrigans. Uh, they're a family that live on the outer suburbs of Melbourne, and the government is seeking to expand the airport. And it just so happens that the Kerrigan family home is part of the land which is due to be bought out through a compulsory acquisition. Now, Daryl Kerrigan, he's, he's the dad, the guy giving the thumbs up there, he can't believe that someone else can just come along and take away his home, his castle, he, and he can't believe that can happen, and so he fights it. Uh, he fights the government, he fights the developer, he takes his fight all the way to the High Court of Australia. And when it comes to Daryl, we're fully behind him, because don't we love an underdog? Now, as we get to 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 18, we see a bit of a rivalry starting to happen between David and his very own son, Absalom. See, David is the king, but as we'll see in the story, he's also the underdog. So chapters 15 to 18 of 2 Samuel, they centre on David uh, and his son, Absalom, who's trying to take the throne off his own dad. Uh, Now, it's a big section that we're covering, so it would be great if you had your Bibles open. We are going to do a bit of flicking, especially through chapters 15 to 18. I I will try and um, flick some verses on the screen, but it'd be be good if you had your Bibles open. 
Uh, big section, so obviously we're not going to be able to look at everything in detail, but let's try and sketch out the main ideas uh, here. So we're going to start with Absalom, Absalom the crown prince. And we know something about him already, don't we? Uh, in, two, in chapter 13, uh, we're told that Absalom murders his own brother Amnon as revenge for Amnon raping his sister Tamar. Now, he then goes into hiding for three years and, he, and then he's welcomed back. But he, he's welcomed back only in part uh, by King David. But once back in the king's city of Jerusalem, Absalom, is, he's not satisfied. And so he goes about this elaborate plot to undermine and eventually try to overthrow his own dad. So let's um, pick it up from verse 1 of chapter 15. In the course of time, Absalom uh, provided himself with chariots and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever, Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that they received justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. You know, I reckon Absalom is a pretty impressive guy, not in the fact that he's a murderer and commits treason, but in worldly terms, he cuts a pretty impressive figure as a leader to be. You know, for one, we're told that he's a good-looking guy. Uh, We're also told that he's got this long set of flowing locks. Uh, But what else is impressive about Absalom? You know, he certainly looked the part of royalty. In verse 1, we're told that he gets himself a chariot and then he gets 50 men to kind of run off ahead of him, announcing to everyone that, hey, look at me, I'm an important person, take notice of me. You know, another thing about Absalom is that he's keen and diligent. You know, he's, he's probably been plotting this downfall of David's for a few years now. Notice what he does each morning. Verse 2, he gets up early, finds himself a good spot on the road uh, to the city gates, and then he greets all the passers-by. You know, this guy is pretty committed And what's more, he certainly knows how to win the people over to himself. What does he do? Well, he undermines David's leadership and questions his apparent lack of justice. This is what he says, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that he gets justice. What's more, he sucks the people in. He greets them and hears them out. Your claims are valid and proper. He tells them what they want to hear. You need a person like me to make it better for you. 
And he even gives each person a kiss. You know, he presents himself as this loving and caring person. Uh, the, the prince whose only concern is for the good of his people. Now, we as readers, we know that it's a sham, but the people of Israel, they get sucked in. You know, he even sounds godly, tricking David to, in allowing him to head off to Hebron as if there was some vow of his to, that he, he was going to fulfill before God to worship him there. You know, it's hard to imagine who, who could um, resist such an impressive figure. Um, certainly Israel couldn't, and so Absalom's plot to betray David moves into full motion. Verse 6, Absalom behaved in this way toward the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Absalom successfully wins over the people and his grab for power seems to be gaining momentum. He's stolen the hearts of the people of Israel. Now, David, on the other hand, David seems weak and powerless. He's lost the support of his people and suffers badly at the hands of Absalom. You know, this is David, once a great warrior and the mighty king of Israel, he's now in this fragile state and on the run from his very own son. See, Absalom, he certainly seems to be the more impressive and powerful leader. He, he really is the people's champion. And you'd think that he were bound to come out ahead. And so having tricked David into allowing him to go to Hebron, uh, it is from there that Absalom launches his assault on David's throne. Uh, in the next couple of chapters leading up to this battle between Absalom and David, uh, we meet a few key individuals along the way. Uh, some who choose to remain loyal to David and others who jump on the bandwagon of the more impressive Absalom. So first of all, let's consider uh, David's betrayers. Firstly, there's the 200. Did you see them? Uh, you read about these guys in verse 11 of chapter 15. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They'd been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. See, these 200 men, they head off with Absalom to, to Hebron, quite innocently, we're told. But once they're there, they realise that they're part of this uprising of Absalom's. They become part of the betrayal against David without consciously deciding that in, initially. And there's a lesson for us to, um, to learn here, isn't there, when it comes to God. You know, sometimes we make decisions about God without properly considering all the available data, without considering the evidence for ourselves. You know, don't be that person that just gets swept along by the crowd. When it comes to Jesus, don't just accept what society says about him or what your friends say about him or what the majority say about him. Check him out for yourself. And there's lots of opportunities to do that here at church. Don't just swim with the tide when it comes to Jesus because you might inadvertently be siding with the enemy. Next up on the list of betrayers, 
uh, is Ahithophel, uh, a bit of a tricky name to pronounce, uh, but Ahithophel is a big coup for Absalom because Ahithophel was one of David's most trusted advisors. He was his right-hand man. You know, whenever David wanted advice, particularly military advice, he would go to Ahithophel. He was his man. So look at verse 12. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counsellor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following uh, kept on increasing. David knew that Ahithophel was an extremely wise and intelligent man. In fact, he took his words as if they were the very words of God. So look at, in chapter 16, verse 23, uh, this is what it says about Ahithophel's advice. Now, in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. See, not that Ahithophel's advice was the word of God, but so highly regarded was he that that is how both David and Absalom took his word. And so with Ahithophel on Absalom's side, David knew that his kingship was being seriously challenged. And now one of the betrayers is Shimei. Uh, this guy is really something. He reminds me of this little brat of a kid who's just throwing the biggest tantrum ever. Uh, and we read about him in chapter 16, uh, verse 5. Uh, chapter 16, verse 5. As King David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul. In his place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. So there you have Shimei cursing David and his men and pelting them with stones as they travelled along the road. See, Shimei, he hands on to the grudge that Saul's household should be the rightful heirs to the throne, even though God had made it clear that David was his man. And next we meet Ziba. So we can read along um, from chapter 16, verse 1, is where we find out about Ziba. David had, uh, when David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, a hundred cakes of figs and a skin of wine. The king asked Zeba, why have you brought these? Zeba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who have become exhausted in the wilderness. The king then asked, where is your master's grandson? Zeba said to him, he's staying in Jerusalem because he thinks, today the Israelites will restore to me my grandfather's kingdom. 
Then the king said to Ziba, All that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. May I find favour in your eyes, my lord the king. See, remember who Ziba was? He was the servant of Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son. And that also made um, him Saul's grandson. So initially, it seems as though Ziba is a friend of David's. Uh, He provides donkeys and food um, for David and his men as they're on the run. What a great guy, you think. But the thing is, we're, we're later told in the next chapter, or in chapter 19, that this was all a lie and that Ziba had falsely slandered Mephibosheth for his own gain. So they are the people who were opposed to David. Now let's have a look at those who choose to remain loyal uh, to David. Uh, Firstly, there's Ittai, uh, the guy with the funny name, Ittai the Gittite. I think it'd be a bit like naming your kid Oz, Oz the Aussie. Um, Now, apart from the odd name that this guy, the thing about Ittai is that he's got this awesome and amazing attitude uh, towards King David. And more than um, what's so amazing is that he's a, he's a foreigner. We're told he's from Gath, which is Philistine uh, territory. He really has nothing to do with the civil war that's happening in Israel. And David t- tells him, he, he tells him that he should um, go and be with Absalom. But his response to David at that point, it's just gold. You see it in verse 21 of chapter 15. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. It's just such amazing loyalty, and loyalty from an unlikely source. Next we have Hushai, uh, Hushai the Archite, not quite as funny a name as Ittai the Gittite. Uh, But Hushai is another one of these advisors of David. But in contrast to Ahithophel, he chooses to remain loyal to David. See, David uses Hushai in this spy-type role by sending him back to Jerusalem to frustrate Ahithophel's advice and to report back to David the plans of Absalom. And we find out that he's quite effective in doing this. So in chapter 17, verse 14, uh, have a look at that. This is what Absalom decides after hearing the counsel of both Ahithophel and Hushai. So chapter 17, verse 14. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. And this brings us on to the last of David's loyal servants, Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, uh, verse 15 and 16 of chapter 17. Hushai told Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Ahithophel has advised Absalom and the elders of Israel to do such and such, but I have advised them to do so and so. Now send a message at once and tell David, do not spend the night at the fords in the wilderness. Cross over without fail or the king and all the people with him will be swallowed up. 
See, David sends Zadok and Abiathar and their sons back to Jerusalem with the ark as spies so that they can let David know of Absalom's plan. So Hushai passes on the message to Zadok and Abiathar, who then relay it onto their sons Jonathan and Himaz, and eventually the message gets to David and buys him time to flee from Absalom. So there you have it, the underdog versus the people's champion. You know, we've seen some people jump ship over to Absalom's side, but we've also seen others remain loyal to David. But I believe what we're supposed to notice in this part of the Bible is God's choice in the matter. And it's ultimately uh, his choice uh, is, uh, is the one that matters, that really matters. See, David certainly believes that God is at work and in control of this whole situation, even though it looks like things are getting out of hand for him. Uh, in Psalm 3, which uh, Corinne read out, uh, it's a psalm that David writes as he's on the run from Absalom. And he reflects on God, the type of God he is, um, and he trusts in God. Look at the words that um, David used to describe God. He's David's shield. He lifts up his head. He's the sustainer and he's the deliverer. David trusts in the promises of God. He trusts that God will deliver on his 2 Samuel 7 promise of raising up a son in David's line who would rule forever. And David doesn't necessarily know whether it's through Absalom or another son of his that these promises will flow through too. But what he does do is continue to turn to God in his time of need and to continue to um, trust that he is the sovereign ruler of the universe. So you have a look at what David says to Zadok the priest concerning the ark, chapter 15, verse 25. Then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favour in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. And we also know that God um, has chosen David as his man since he gives David victory over Absalom. So in chapter 17, verse 14, we're told that the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. So God is the architect behind the restoration of David as king over all of Israel. God frustrates Ahithophel's advice and he ensures that the message gets through to David about Absalom's plans. You know, we didn't get time this morning to look at the battle scene, but God uses the forest itself to devour Absalom's men. Even though David was outnumbered, God uses the terrain of the land to defeat David's enemies. So even though it seemed all was lost for David, we see that God was for him and that his sovereign purpose will stand in spite of any human attempts to derail it. In 1000 BC, it was clear uh, that David 
was God's choice. God made huge promises to David, and here, when faced with a challenge for the throne by his very own son, God granted him victory and restored the kingship to David. But there's another who is God's ultimate choice, isn't there? Uh, That's none other than Jesus Christ himself. Uh, I'm on Matt on this one. Uh, But, uh, you know, as we've been following the story of David throughout 2 Samuel, I really do feel torn when it comes to David and how to view him. See, on the one hand, I see time and time again, David living up to his title of being the great king of Israel. Because as a whole, he, he does seem to genuinely seek the good of his people. Most of the time, he trusts God and and knows that he's in control of all things. He seems not to overreach in his power, but to try to remain a humble servant of God. But as we've seen, especially in recent weeks, he is a deeply flawed individual. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. You know, his own daughter is raped and he does nothing about it. You know, the whole episode that we just looked at of Absalom trying to take his throne is due in part to David's inability to restrain evil within his own household and to administer justice where it was needed. David was in some ways responsible for the misery that came upon himself at the hands of Absalom. See, time and time again, we see David struggling to balance these notions of love and justice See, when, when at, the, at the end of this section, when he learns about Absalom's death, David's just absolutely distraught. We're told that he cries out, My son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. See, on, on the one hand, it's like, David, what's your problem? Your kid just tried to have you killed. He deserved what he got. But on the other hand, you understand a father's love for their very own child. Despite all the evil Absalom committed, David still wishes that he had died in his place. So where with David you get all these question marks? With Jesus we get none of that. Because Jesus is the great king who always obeyed his father. With him there's, there's no questions whatsoever over his morality He's the ultimate king whose rule is untainted. He's the proper fulfillment of the 2 Samuel 7 promise concerning the king who's going to rule forever. So he is able to balance perfectly that line between love and justice. A great example of this um, is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is what it says. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, isn't the gospel shocking? Love and justice perfectly enacted as seen in Jesus dying on the cross for us. As the innocent one bears the sins of the world on his shoulders, justice is satisfied, but so too the love of God is seen in all its fullness. What a great and amazing king that we have in Jesus. 
Now, we've covered um, a ton of ground this morning, but I just want to finish now by asking two questions of us. Firstly, will you follow God's King, Jesus? See, Jesus, in, in so many ways, was like David. You know, we read about him walking this path uh, of suffering through the Kedron Valley and then up the Mount of Olives. He's betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's mocked, despised and hated by his own people. Jesus does not look an impressive leader at all. You know, there's going to be lots of people who come along and in worldly terms, they look like winners. They're going to have successful careers, big houses. They're going to be smooth talking and have lots of friends around them. And the temptation for us is to ditch Jesus and follow those sorts of people and that sort of lifestyle. But we'd be fools to fall for that lie because even though it might not be clear right now, uh, one day the world will see Jesus as John sees him in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. See, following Jesus won't be easy or straightforward. He's not chasing the popular vote. He won't just tell you what you want to hear. Uh, what he will do, though, is tell you what you need to hear. And we can trust him in that because he knows what's best for us. And more than that, he gave up his life for you. We know that he loves us more than anything because he laid down his life for us so that we might become children of God. That is totally a king worth following. And the second question is, will you trust God um, regardless? A bit like what Sally learned to do. Will you trust God believing that what he has promised will come to fruition and that he is sovereign and in control of all things? You know, tragedy and suffering and tough times are likely to come upon you. And the temptation for us is to forget about God or to get angry at him. You know, maybe you've got these great plans in your life. Those plans could even be righteous and godly ones. Now, God may or may not use you in the way that you think he should. We need to be open to God working in our lives in a manner which we ourselves wouldn't naturally think of, trusting that God will work out his good and sovereign plan in our lives. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign and in control of all things. Thank you that you are sovereign even through our sufferings and the tough times that we go through. Lord, may we seek your comfort in these times and continue to trust that you are in control, working out all things for our good. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, whom you anointed as the ultimate king and ruler over the heavens and the earth. Thanks for his sacrifice on our behalf. Thanks that love and justice are fully met um, and completely satisfied in his death. Father, strengthen us to follow him and see him for who he really is as the Lord overall. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.